0: Well, good afternoon, everyone. Happy Friday on this first Friday in November, and welcome to this week's Fireside Chat. I'm Lisa Stearns, and I'm here with Tim Cross, our Senior Vice President, and as usual, we'll be updating you today on the latest information regarding COVID-19 cases within the university and the Institute. And we'll hear from some of our other areas of the Institute that will be highlighting ways in which innovation is playing a role in how we do our work. A few reminders: As you know, please keep your audio muted unless you are the one speaking. Use the chat function on Zoom to ask any questions. You can post them publicly, or you can send them private, uh, privately to me on the chat. And a recording of this session will be made and posted to the UTIA Coronavirus website. You can find that link on our homepage at utia.tennessee.edu. So, Tim. How does the case count look currently for the University and the Institute?
1: Well, thanks for kicking us off again, Lisa. And uh, as usual, great to see everyone. I hope uh, all of you have had a good week. I'm going to jump right into our data today because uh, we've got, uh, I think, some great messages later uh, in the chat to share, and I want to make sure we have plenty of time for those. So uh, without a lot of introductory remarks, let me uh, get right to uh, sharing our data. And any of you who jo- have joined the last two or three weeks are probably going to say uh, he sure sounds like a broken record because this is going to be largely more of the same. So uh, let me uh, work through uh, these charts uh, fairly, fairly briefly, but uh, just to give you an update of where we're at so that we're all aware. Uh, university-wide, uh, our numbers look very, very similar to last week. Uh, we currently have uh, 11 active positive cases among employees uh, and 58 uh, students uh, with active positive cases. Now, Let me say that was as of 8 o'clock this morning, and I'm aware of, I think, two more uh, positive cases uh, among employees, at least uh, within the Institute. So uh, those numbers, you know, they really change almost by the hour, but uh, I had to pull the data at 8 o'clock this morning. That was the only chance I had. So that's uh, the, the update as of that point in time. If you look at isolations, again, uh, a little bit of an increase there uh, compared to the last several weeks, but uh, I don't think anything substantial nor, uh, nor overly concerning other than we, we want all these numbers to be at zero. But uh, right now we're looking at uh, 68 faculty and staff, uh, university-wide uh, who are uh, in uh, isolation and 305 students. And both of those, if you notice, are are slightly larger than last week and and the uh, four or five weeks before that, uh, but certainly not near uh, the levels of of mid to late September. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that certainly and and continue to report uh, weekly uh, on this same data. For the Institute of Agriculture, again, it's, it's a pretty similar story. You know, you might glance at this chart and say, gosh, uh, we're, we're really spiking in the number of cases. It's gone from one to three to five. But let's keep in mind, that those are still very small numbers. And uh, it's, uh, it's really, I think, again, a, a positive sign that we have that few a number of employees uh, with uh, active positive cases as we speak. But uh, on the other hand, we'd rather that number be zero. So uh, we're keeping a uh, close eye on that as well. But looking back all the way, as far back as this chart goes to uh, to mid-August, we're still uh, not seeing any large number of cases amongst our faculty and staff uh, within the Institute of Agriculture. And same story for isolations. Uh, We've got uh, 13 uh, faculty and staff in isolation. uh, And again, over the the last several weeks, all the way back to mid-August, that's a actually right in the range of what we've been experiencing. So uh, no major changes there either. Now, again, when we go to the national figures, last week I said it looked bad, this week I'm gonna say it looks horrible because we, uh, we are now seeing uh, the number of new daily cases exceed 100,000 per day. and In fact, yesterday approached 120,000. So nationally, uh, we're, we're continuing to increase uh, certainly, that is not at all what we want to see, uh, so very, very troubling uh, from a national perspective, and I think this certainly illustrates the uh, the ease and the rapidity with which this virus spreads, and currently, we're not going in the right direction uh, in, in terms of the country. Actually, seeing a slight decrease uh, in trend, at least, uh, in the state of Tennessee, so while we've had some days of more than 3,000 cases recently, uh, we're also seeing uh, days of less than 2,000 cases. So the trend, uh, at least for the past several days is is actually back down, but we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, it would be great if we could run counter to the national trend uh, and see uh, a decreased number of cases uh, emerging on a daily basis. Uh, let's hope uh, we can all follow practices and do our part to uh, to contribute to that decreasing uh, number of new cases daily. So uh, that's uh, a summary of where we're at uh, on campus, uh, across the state and uh, across the country at this point in time.
0: Well, so in some happier news, as you alluded to earlier, um, we do know that during this pandemic, our service units have had to make some adjustments um, along with our faculty and staff in, in how we engage uh, our clients. So today we'd like to highlight some of those innovations. So if you will share those, Tim.
1: Yeah, great. And I think uh, this is a great chance to, to share some more of the good work going on uh, throughout the Institute. Uh, we've heard from uh, faculty uh, and staff uh, and agents uh, a couple of different times uh, in, in previous fireside chats. But I uh, thought today it would be good to share a little bit of what the, some of the units uh, do that support a, a number of, of others uh, through their work. Uh, and so we'll, we'll give each of them a chance uh, to share just a little of, of some of the new and innovative things that they're doing. And we're gonna start with Dr. Keith Barber, uh, who is uh, Vice Chancellor for our Office of uh, Advancement. Uh, Dr. Barber is gonna share a little bit of uh, the work they've been doing uh, to help uh, obviously to advance the Institute and to uh, uh, raise money and to steward uh, our our donors and, and work with our alumni. So Dr. Barber, I'll turn it over to you.
2: Thank you, Dr. Cross. I want to make sure you can hear me.
1: We hear you and, and we've got the uh, slide in front of us as well.
2: Great. Good deal. Well, well, thank you. I appreciate the introduction. Uh, everyone, one of the the uh, key components for our office, as Dr. Cross alluded to, is to stay engaged with our graduates and with our constituents. Uh, a number of ways we do that. And since uh, COVID, hit, we.
1: Keith, we lost Keith, your audio. Can you hear me now? A little bit. There's a lot of rattling, uh, rustling
2: in the background, but I think we can hear you. Okay, sorry about that. So one of the things that we decided to do was uh, try a few different things, new new opportunities that we had, uh, and to stay in touch with our alums. So we created a a series of of interactions with all graduates from the Herbert College of Agriculture and the College of Veterinary Medicine, and by the way, there's about 16,000 of those, so total, and uh, we created a program called No Mask Required, and that's initiative was really been focused through our departments and so every department head um, in the Herbert College of Agriculture and then small animal and large animal department heads in College of Veterinary Medicine uh, had the chance uh, through about a six-week period to interact with the alums and during that we had 23 different sessions of mass required one hour zoom sessions and where the department head and, and then uh, our office hosted but department head and various faculty were engaged with conversations with graduates and uh period we really just again looked to connect with these graduates back at the department level and we were it was a great success we had almost 200 people connecting in that way and most of those persons we had never interacted with before and uh, so it's a great opportunity for us to, to do that. Um, we, we did survey of those 200 or so participants afterwards, and we learned the, the most important thing we learned from that was that the alumni would like to continue to engage at the departmental level and do it by Zoom or even in person, but uh, Zoom seems to be a great way to work. Um, a couple other Zoom opportunities we've taken advantage of, the College of Veterinary Medicine does their faculty rounds on Fridays. And so we invite uh, alumni from, from the College of Veterinary Medicine to participate in those as well. Dr. Um, Dennis Geiger is the, the sort of founding father of that, and we appreciate that, Dennis, for, for your help in stewarding that. A uh, Couple other things we've done during this time, uh, and then I'll, I'll wrap up. Uh, you know, other campuses that focused on uh, supporting students who were in need, financial need during this time, and uh, the, college, the Herbert College of Agriculture and the College of Veterinary Medicine were able to do that through UTK, but we did a little bit different twist and we focused on need-based uh, assisted care for those who might need a helping hand during the COVID situation with animals. And so those uh, who, who that people could apply and, and receive assistance, but we did an initiative where we had, uh, 200 uh, more than 250 donors for a matter of fact it was almost 300 donors give 350 gifts for this particular program raising over $60,000 that is now being distributed out to those in need um, those clients who are in need of of assistance to pay their medical bills at the uh, college of veterinary medicine hospitals and then the final thing Mike if you'll slip over to the next uh, image we continue to do what many of you may have heard about uh, is Magic Moments. That's a podcast that uh, is, is ran by Lauren Bath out of our office. And this particular, uh, uh, can you see that link there, Mike? Dr. Cross?
1: Well, hang on just one moment.
2: Okay, I think, okay, I think Lisa has put it in the, in the chat box. Okay. So Lisa's put a link there in the chat box. So Magic Moments is an initiative from our office to help bring agriculture to those who don't really think about ag every day. And uh, that continues to be a good opportunity for us to make connections on behalf of the institute, the faculty, and some very unique opportunities. As you might download that link and uh, check it out. So, Dr. Cross, uh, I'll wrap our session up by saying, uh, you know, uh, adversity sometimes is the uh, just the mother of the mother of invention comes from that. And so we've tried to take advantage of doing things differently and finding that hey, there are different solutions and different opportunities. And we appreciate the, the privilege of serving the Institute and our constituents. Thanks, Keith.
1: And I know that uh, those 200 plus individuals that we're connected with in those departmental sessions, many of them, I don't think we'd had contact with for years and probably some of them maybe not since they, they graduated or left, uh, left campus. So uh, wouldn't have happened without COVID probably, but a great way to, to engage some folks uh, or re-engage in some cases uh, with the Institute. Thanks for sharing. Absolutely. Good. All right. Next, uh, I'm going to introduce Dr. Tom Gill, who is the chair of the Smith International Center. And uh, we know Tom and his staff work closely with a number of different uh, faculty and groups uh, across uh, the campus and across the Institute for that matter. So, Dr. Gill, would you like to share a little bit about uh, what you and your team have been uh, involved with?
3: Sure. Thank you, Dr. Cross, and good to see everyone this afternoon. Happy Friday. Um, Just a few quick updates from our international center, a few things that we've been doing over this past kind of eight very different months. Um, Even though we've had international travel on an extended pause, we have still continued to work with our partners around the world and research, outreach, and education activities. We've seen a rapid uptake of all kinds of folks um, being suddenly able to do Zoom and Microsoft Teams calls from all crazy corners of the world. Um, so that's been fun to still be able to be engaged and continue with work. Um, we have been able to join a consortium of global universities that are working on the sustainable development goals of the United Nations. And we've done things such as work with the other units here. Um, so we worked with Keith Sharp and uh, advancement to secure some donor funding for some new work in Haiti. And we've been working with uh, Lisa Shop and Angela shop. We have our Smith Center website, um, which went live yesterday. So that is now up and running on WordPress. So we're excited about those things. Um, but a couple of things I just wanna highlight really quickly is that we've also been able to pivot some during these eight months and really grow our engagement with the international and intercultural communities that are here in our own state and region. And one way that we've done that is through leading a joint UTK-UTIA initiative called End Hunger Feed Change, which is running a themed year about raising awareness on local to global hunger issues, encouraging our volunteers, our vols to get involved in addressing hunger from campus all the way to around the world. But the thing I really want to focus on, the last thing I'll I'll share, I just want to provide some information on our new extension work group. Um, In response to some findings that we ran from an extension-wide survey back in February pre-COVID, we initiated now a UTTSU Extension Culturally and Linguistically Diverse Communities Work Group which is focusing on equipping our Extension employees with the skills and resources to better serve those culturally and linguistically diverse communities across Tennessee. And we've got participants on that work group from all regions of the state, from all missions of Extension, and we're really just getting off the ground. We've had our first three monthly Zoom meetings. We're learning about resources that are around the state. We're discussing different strategies about how to better equip our Extension colleagues to serve these diverse communities across the state. Now, these communities are some of the fastest growing communities in the state, and if we're gonna be responsive to the needs of Tennessee, we need to be better equipped to serve all audiences. And and one of the goals that I see from this work group in particular is to raise the awareness that the international and the intercultural um, isn't just something that's out there, out way beyond our borders, but it's something that is increasingly here within our state and something that we can be engaged with. And we need to be ready on our doorstep to be able to serve these communities better. So if you have any questions about that um, or about anything else that we're doing right now, please feel free to contact me. I'll drop my email in the chat. I'll drop the web link as well of our um, new website on WordPress. So thank you, that's all I have. Thank you Dr. Cross for the invite. Thanks Lisa also for setting this up and inviting me to share. Great,
1: thanks for the updates uh, and, the, and the successes that you've shared, uh, Dr. Gill. A uh, couple of things that I noted there. One, uh, having Zoom calls with all corners of the world while, uh, while online uh, media has, has facilitated those things, uh, I have noted that uh, the time difference has not improved. So, uh, you know, meeting with our uh, friends and partners in Asia is still a 12 hour difference, uh, unfortunately. Uh, so scheduling is still a challenge, but connection is possible, and no no greater time or need for connection than right now. So uh, appreciate you and your team uh, staying with that. And you mentioned uh, your new uh, WordPress uh, site launched yesterday, and that's a great segue into uh, hearing from our uh, chief information officer, Angela Gibson, and hearing about what else uh, Information Te- Technology Services has been involved with uh, the past several months. So. Angela, you wanna
4: share? Sure, thank you, Dr. Cross. Um, It's always hard to follow uh, Keith Barber and Tom Gill, but um, so while our offices across the state may not be 100% staffed, Information Technology Services and Extensions Information Technology Professionals have been upgrading network equipment for our SHIELD locations, um, for our SHIELD network at our county offices and research and education centers. Last year extension leadership approved a four year replacement cycle for our shield network equipment. And so this past summer we replaced firewall equipment at 11 locations with new faster network firewalls. In 2021 we plan to replace um, firewall equipment at 19 locations. So the replacement cycle continues and this ensures that we have a secure reliable network. Uh, that provides additional layers of security for our business processes when we return to our offices. So another improvement we made uh, to our shield network was replacing our UTI secure network uh, with EduROam. And so EduRome provides uh, us a unified um, network and it also simplifies our secure wireless network across the state. Uh, this, has been, uh, this has reduced the need of our staff who uh, would log in to each um, secure uh, wireless uh, network at each location so they can travel um, at our Extension offices and our uh, research and education centers and our campus locations almost seamlessly. So I'd like to thank Mike Stanley and our Extension IT professionals, uh, Cam Philbeck, David Yates, Christina Martinez, Justin Stefanski, Brad Eubanks, and Sean Water for um, helping with that. And also um, thank UTK's uh, network services folks for helping us um, as they control the edge room network um, for UTK. So another thing I'd like to mention is um, how our office worked um, with marketing communication to establish an online presence and registration system for the Milan no-till virtual field day. As you know, 2020 is the first year this event was held virtually. The online uh, event kicked off on July 23rd and has been really successful uh, to date. The sites had over 8,700 views and uh, nearly 15,000 15, video views. So uh, we're still counting. Um, so people continue to visit the site and continue to watch the videos and continue to gain the knowledge that we are sharing. So we have used this online approach to hold hold other uh, UTI uh, field day events and we found that um, these virtual events are a really effective way for UTI to communicate with and involve our constituents in the research activities during this pandemic. You know we're looking forward to a day where we can hold these um, events in person and when it's safe to do so. Uh, So for for that, I'd like to thank uh, Mark Young, uh, Billy Williams, Sophie Schmidt, Ginger Rousey for all their work on this virtual event. Uh, There's many other IT projects and initiatives happening across the Institute and our IT um, our IT personnel do a great job to help us move forward and I'd like to thank all of them. So I hope you all have a great weekend and thank you for letting me share.
1: Thanks, Angela. And boy, there's, there's no doubt that uh, without information technology, think how challenged we would have been for the past eight months and, and for the next eight months most likely. So really appreciate you and your staff for enabling us to, uh, to get out there uh, virtually, uh, do things like the mile and No-Till Field Day uh, and reach uh, people across the state. You know, it strikes me the mile and No-Till Field Day when it's done in person lasts about eight hours from seven in the morning till three in the afternoon. The Mile and No-Till Field Day done virtually lasts forever. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's still there. It's still serving the need. So uh, we're learning some things and, and uh, really gaining great experiences uh, in the process. So I uh, really appreciate that. Well, I'll wrap up uh, introducing uh, our uh, our units by uh, inviting our host here today, uh, Lisa Stearns, to uh, share a little bit about what marketing communications has been doing uh, since uh, COVID uh, has, has impacted us and how you've help to uh, further the efforts of our faculty and staff.
0: Thanks so much, Tim. And um, we have been doing a lot despite uh, just holding fireside chats. We, um, I have to say our team has uh, just, they very quickly and effectively shifted to remote work. And um, interestingly, the workload has increased as well, because many of our faculty and staff are finding perhaps the time to produce uh, new work. And so um, our job is to help tell those stories and take uh, that work and put it in a format that uh, the public can understand. So I've asked Jean Halsey, our Assistant Director of Creative Services, to give an overview of just the kinds of projects that we have been working on. And then Charles Denny will talk more specifically about video production.
5: Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Dr. Cross, and happy Friday, everyone. Um, So Lisa, that was a perfect segue into just what I'd like to share is a quick screen cap of some of the projects that our office typically works on. Um, As you can see, in January and March, our first quarter, we had 321 total projects. And when we transitioned in the second quarter to working remotely, Our total projects jumped to 347 and that included 57 extension uh, numbered publications, many of which are COVID related, Um, a lot of news items. And you can see on the right hand of the screen here, just a couple screen caps of some of those projects. We came out with our Land Life and Science Magazine, um, some branding items for 4-H, and of course, uh, the Zoom backgrounds that we all know and love well now. We also um, supported a lot of virtual field days, which Charles Denny can speak more to in just a moment. Um, But I'd like to kind of talk just real briefly about how we transitioned to keep UTIA visible through this pandemic. Angela mentioned the website work. Our two teams, ITS and Marketing Communications, have been working really closely together. Um, And by the end of this year, we are on track to have near or just over 100 websites. That's either websites that we have moved from um, SharePoint into WordPress or brand new websites. And An example of a brand new website would be the Coronavirus website. We also have moved our own marketing and communications website into WordPress and part of that is a resource area for new employees. So if you're new to UTIA, please check out marketing.tennessee.edu, and we've got a tab for some resources for you. And something that is up and coming for us is a branding website. We are going to have a much more robust and much more user-friendly website with lots of assets for um, UTIA employees and our partner, um, partners across the state to be able to download from. So that's another great initiative between our team and ITS helping us make that as uh, friendly for the users as possible. Another thing that um, Lisa mentioned, but we really were able to pivot very quickly to working remotely through Trello and Slack and Zoom. We successfully hired and onboarded a full-time employee, several student interns, and that's just um, really been surprisingly smooth. Um, We also, including today, if I'm counted correctly, we've done 28 fireside chats that we've helped to support. So that's the actual fireside chats themselves as well as the prep ahead of time and then the follow up communications after the fireside chats. Um, Another thing that I'd like to highlight is our uh, work with the Knoxville campus. Communicon is one example. We had uh, Beth Davis on our team, who was actually part of the planning committee for that. And then uh, Lisa and April and Sandra with CVM um, all were, and I hope I didn't leave anybody out. If I did, please forgive me, but all were very involved um, in actually presenting during Communicon. And then uh, many, many, many Knoxville meetings, the Communications Council was meeting on a weekly basis, which I sit on that committee for, and I know Doug Edlund in our office has been mm-hmm. sitting through lots and lots of emergency um, operations meetings, and those are just two examples. There's, I'm sure, many, many more. And then the virtual field days, which Angela alluded to, um, were a challenge for um, A new opportunity, I guess, maybe uh, is a better way to say it for uh, everybody involved, but those were really successful. And then for this third quarter, um, we don't have all of our numbers parceled out yet, but um, Up from 347 in quarter two, we're looking to have 366 completed projects in these most recent three months and uh, those include 85 news items 44 web and email projects. Uh, 35 extension publications and media relations and video stories and um, podcasts of course we have seven of those so those are just a couple and then this bottom right hand photo I wanted to uh, just share with UTIA we um, we had to get creative in um, how we worked together and there was two or three different opportunities where we were able to be outside socially distanced um, Tara, our project coordinator, who many of you may have met, um, got to meet us outside in a car circle for the first time after she'd been working for many weeks. So that's a little bit of what we've done. And I'm going to kick it over to Charles Denny in my office.
6: All right. Thanks, Jean. Um, She mentioned uh, virtual field days there. I was going to talk real quickly about that. We had about uh, eight of those uh, in various forms. Uh, our role was to sometimes shoot and edit the uh, presentations that people were doing during the field days, or sometimes people would um, record on Zoom their presentation with a PowerPoint. And then our job was to compile all these, uh, put them online, get closed captioning done. Uh, Angela and, and several others have already mentioned the Mylan field day. I want to uh, Mention that one more time. It was the biggest. It had more than 60 presentations. As Angela said, 15,000 views, and I've heard something like 50,000 clicks or impressions and hits from 36 states and 38 countries. Also, we were involved in the Milan virtual breakfast and kind of breakfast in a box where we sent uh, muffins and a coffee mug and things. and We had a a, uh, virtual breakfast where a number of dignitaries uh, spoke by Zoom and that was all hosted by our former colleague, Ginger Rousey, who did a lot of work with these virtual field days. So then I'll just uh, segue to TV production. Uh, we've got a few more things to shoot in 2020. And we're going to end up with a year, it looks like, producing 52 video news stories, which is what we would do in a in a normal year. Uh, now, if you'd have told me back in May, June, April, May, June, we're gonna do 52. I said, there is no way under these circumstances. Um, But we did it. And I say we, because we got to 52 because of many of you. Um, Our people across the state were willing to be interviewed, sometimes by Zoom or FaceTime or in person at a safe distance. And people just gave me story ideas that we could do. Uh, Sometimes the story, many times it was COVID related, or it was about the fact that we were doing something virtually. Um, The pandemic, um, of course, no one ever wanted to see anything this horrific as the pandemic, but it really changed the way TV stations and the media are operating. Not only are they sometimes losing revenue because of the economy, but also they're just having a tough time producing all that airtime in news. And because they can't have in-studio live guests, that actually created an opportunity for us in some instances, they really needed our material more. WBIR is the station here in town that's been running many of our stories uh, because, they, because they have those openings now. So I would just encourage everybody to please keep the ideas coming. Um, email me if you have an idea that you think might make a great tv story or a print story or a podcast we mentioned we saw actually uh, counting all podcasts including the fireside chats and things that people are doing across the state we're up to 112 podcasts for the year and one last thing i'd like to mention is that we continue to work with the media in a, a media relations standpoint and farm journal broadcasting who does u.s farm report featured us, UTIA, on its college roadshow. And this is a lot like, kind of like ESPN's game day where they travel to different campuses and despite the pandemic, they still wanted to come to us. Uh, It was, uh, they featured six universities. So it was us, Texas Tech, Kansas State, Iowa State, Nebraska, and Missouri. I proudly mentioned that list because as you can see, We were the only SEC land grant who got featured. That's Tyne Morgan, who is the host of US Farm Report. And she produced this show. She was not able to come to campus because she actually had a death in her family. Uh, But a crew came to campus and over about a one day period, uh, they shot interviews with four of our Herbert students. They did uh, a, a virtual roundtable with our ag economist, Aaron Smith, Andrew Muhammad, and Kim Jensen. They did an interview with Dr. Cross about our land grant mission, and they did features with Jessica Black on all vol cheese and food science, and John Manafo on his whiskey research, uh, again, all from food science. So we recently shared a link, uh, an email from Dr. Cross. It was a good 40-minute show. As you can see, our logo was all over the place. They didn't just say they were at the University of Tennessee. They said they were at the Institute of Agriculture, and uh, it was really uh, better than we could have even hoped for. Uh, it really turned out very well. So I would encourage you to, uh, to go to that link and watch the show. really was well produced. I was really impressed. So they turned it around in about a three-day period, too. So with that, uh, again, please send me any story ideas you have, and I'll toss it back to uh, Lisa and Dr. Cross.
1: Thanks, Charles, Jean, and Lisa, some, some great work. And, you know, I, I suspect most of you have had some kind of interactions with one or more of the, the folks we heard from today, but few of you had an opportunity to connect in all these different ways uh, with so many different uh, activities going on. Uh, in so many new and different approaches, so uh, I hope that that overview gives you a good feel for what's been happening uh, uh, in terms of uh, support and new ideas for uh, supporting our faculty and staff. Uh, the The Farm Journal story in particular was a lot of fun. Uh, it it did kind of feel like uh, college game day. Uh, I wanted to have a big head to put on at the end of it, but I didn't uh, plan ahead enough. So maybe maybe next time we host, uh, we'll do that and. Uh, have a, a big smoky head to put on or something, but uh, a fun uh, experience with that crew. So Lisa, I'll turn it back to you and let's uh, see what questions then folks might have either about the, the, the uh, presentations we heard today or or certainly about uh, anything related to COVID-19 as well.
0: Well, so far we just have one question and that is if you could provide an update on the UT extension Dean search and um, the candidates.
1: Oh, yeah, great. Sure can. Uh, Very timely, too, because uh, interviews start next week. So uh, the search committee recommended five finalists. And you might say to yourself, holy cow, that's a lot of people. Uh, That's exactly what I said to myself. But I looked at uh, uh, the individuals they were recommending. And uh, it was from a large pool of well qualified individuals. And I think we need to to take a careful look at at all of them. So those interviews start next week and we're gonna get five candidates through here in about two weeks time period. Uh, That's gonna be a combination of both uh, in-person and virtual uh, opportunities for the interviews themselves. Uh, So we'll have limited amount of space for face-to-face participation. And then everyone is is welcome certainly to participate uh, through online uh, viewing and, and interview sessions. So the seminars uh, will, will be done once on campus and also once over in Middle Tennessee uh, at our 4-H Center in Columbia. And that's to provide more access and, and provide the candidates uh, more, more understanding of, of Tennessee's extension programs, Tennessee agriculture, our rural communities, the needs of our youth and so forth. So each uh, of the candidates will be announced approximately two business days prior to their interview uh, so that we, we continue to inform you as to who's coming, make available on the website, uh, each of their curriculum vitas, uh, as well as uh, a connection, I believe, or, or the ability to, to register for uh, the online uh, presentation or seminar that they'll make. So that's uh, the plans at this point. The first uh, candidate, which was announced yesterday, uh, is Dr. Scott Sensiman. Uh, he'll be uh, beginning his interview on Monday uh, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, hearing Scott's vision uh, for UT Extension uh, and having a chance to uh, to visit with him uh, about uh, his his thoughts uh, in terms of leading the organization. And then uh, following Dr. Senseman we'll we'll connect with four additional candidates again over the course of about two weeks. So uh, that's that's the status right now. I think or uh, I'm pretty sure Dr. Beal is on, and I'm not sure about Dr. Shin, but. They're co-chairing the search. I would pause just for a moment to see if either Kala or uh, Hongwei wanted to, to share any more uh, information uh, about the, the candidates or the search. And I see Dr. Hongwei. Ross, camera you, oh, out. I'm sorry.
7: You go, go ahead, ahead on, uh, Dr. Beale.
1: I think um, the, the fact that we're bringing in five different candidates is just a testament to how much um, quality and um, exciting expertise the candidates have. So I'm looking forward to tremendous participation.
2: Thanks, Galva Hawaii? Huh? You covered it very well, Dr. Cross, uh, on the website. Uh, so we're gonna roll out uh, these candidates um, and then uh, the CV and also evaluation. So all the seminars will be recorded and are gonna be posted uh, at the conclusion of all five interviews. You only need to attend one of the two seminars, obviously. Great.
1: All right, hope that's helpful uh, in terms of an update. Great,
0: there's one other question and that is when will the ADA process be announced?
1: Uh, Somebody's gonna have to help me out, the ADA process.
0: um... We'll see if we get clarification (laughs) here. (laughs) <laughs> I'm only
1: thinking of the Disabilities Act, and I, that can't yeah. be it.
0: Oh, for people with medical
1: conditions? Ah, uh, yes. That that process is already in place and exists, uh, in, and it's through the Office of Equity and Diversity. Uh, let me see. Uh, so... Doug Bonner, uh, I'll see if I can get a lifeline with you. Anything uh, you'd like to say about uh, those who might want to apply for a medical exemption?
7: Sure thing. Yeah. And I was wondering if that's what it was when the question came up. Um, I, I think what you've said is is um, entirely accurate. So I'm assuming, and you know, I, I want to be careful doing that, but it has to do with the increased focus on returning more of our workforce to the brick and mortar locations over the course of the next several months and particularly as we get into next year Um, what we are going to do is continue to encourage our leaders to work with their staff to every extent they can to help work out a schedule that works to uh, support both the operation and of course that staff member's individual needs but if they do have a medical condition or something that would restrict them from coming to the workplace entirely, and if it is a situation where their role requires them to be in the physical workplace, then the ADA accommodation process may be the best um, mechanism for them to pursue. And in that case, I would say, work with your HR partner for your unit. We'll help get you in contact with Joe Malolepski over with the Office of Equity and Diversity, and then she'll partner with you to work through any accommodations that, that may be found appropriate.
1: Great. Thanks, Doug. That's very sure. helpful. Do you want to just tick off who
7: those uh, HR uh, partners are for each of the units? Oh yeah, I'd be happy to. So uh, we've got Jennifer Daniels with the College of Veterinary Medicine. Whitney Fair supports our ag research group. Um, we have John Toman and Deb Welch that support the um, the extension organization and Amy Stover has recently joined the Hr team in support of the herbert College of Agriculture
1: Good, thank you Doug. very helpful
0: and Tim, it looks like those are all the questions so any final comments
1: oh yeah you know uh, i've i've uh had a lot of feedback following last week's discussion, where we talked about scaling up a little more of our presence in our bricks and mortar uh, facilities. And and as I expected, you know, there's a good number of you that said, oh, finally, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to, to come back and do more. And, and as expected, there's some who said, you're crazy, aren't you? Aren't you looking at your own data that you're sharing every week uh, in terms of the number of cases across the country in particular? Uh, and I think that, that's, again, uh, not unexpected at all. I mean, th- this is a challenging time. We see more cases and yet uh, more desire uh, to, uh, to really be back at work, if you will, physically. Uh, and I think, uh, as Doug just described, our, our challenge is to work through that thoughtfully and carefully uh, and not get in a big, such a big hurry that we jeopardize anyone's health or safety or the safety of others, obviously, but that we also uh, recognize we do have an important mission. Uh, the state counts on us, our counties and communities count on us, our students certainly count on us. Uh, we, we need to, to be there for them too. So uh, I think we'll continue to, to plan just as we talked about last week, but that doesn't mean again that we can't uh, realize or, or determine that uh, the situation has become unmanageable and we're gonna have to either pause or back up uh, in that process. So. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, still looking ahead uh, with the uh, expectation of of scaling up further, but doing so safely and cautiously, and and keeping the option to say, "Oops, that's not going to work," and and backing up if we need to. So with that, I'm I'm going to wrap up my remarks. Uh, uh, really, really a pleasure to see each of you. Thanks to our units for sharing today, and and thanks uh, especially to each and every one of you for doing what you do. Uh, we continue to hear positive things about what's happening across campus uh, and across the state, whether it be uh, in our College of Area Medicine, whether it be at one of our recs uh, out across the state, in one of our county offices, or, or here in a classroom. Uh, you're doing good work. We recognize and we appreciate it. So thank you and have a great weekend. Have a great weekend,
0: everyone. Go balls.